everyone, welcome back to episode 49 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. This is a collection of curated discussions for therapists and anyone interested in deep restorative transformation through the lens of relationships. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. This is the basis for my signature method, Connectfulness. I invite you to make space to see yourself. And here's a little warning. This might lead to deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. Are you ready to deepen your practice and be seen? As always, the information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Today, I'm talking with Benjamin Riesterer. Benjamin is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Michigan. He holds sacred the opportunity to meet his clients and practices from the conviction that this meaningful work is best supported by an accepting and authentic relationship. Benjamin is also the founder and creator of Medify, an app that can be found on both Android and Apple devices that's designed to help promote mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and body awareness. He takes a holistic approach to the work of counseling and strives to hold a space where emotions, symptoms, and thoughts can be safely and curiously explored as he believes that they hold messages that are meant to be acknowledged, understood, and integrated. I have been really excited to introduce you to Benjamin for quite some time. As you may know, Medify has sponsored the Popscast in the past, and we have a wonderful relationship with Benjamin. This was a really wonderful opportunity for me to dive deeper and get to know the man, the counselor behind Medify. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm so grateful that you're joining us again today. I have a really special guest that I've been wanting to talk to you for quite a long time on the show. Benjamin Riesterer has, he's a therapist and he's the creator of an app called Medify that you might have heard me talk about on past episodes. So today we wanted to welcome Benjamin onto the show and just really dive into a conversation around awareness and slowing down and intention setting in this new year. So welcome, Benjamin. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful to be here and to be talking to you. Oh, gosh. I, I've been wanting to have this conversation for I don't even know how long. Like, it nah. feels like almost a year already. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad does. that we're here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we, we connected a while back. And your Medify, um, your app has sponsored the Popscast in the past. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten to know each other a little bit in that way, but we haven't really talked about the therapeutic work and what you bring into, into this space. So I'm really excited for this. I'm excited to get to know you now in a new way. Yeah, it'll be fun for sure. I feel like I know a lot about you already. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm really excited because I feel like there's, some, there's a lot of overlap between how we... Uh, show up in the room with our clients. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, this episode is going to be airing in early January. And this is a time where we're all um, feeling like recovery mode from the holidays. (laughs) Yep. Right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
and, and we're trying to kind of cultivate and create this plan for like, what's next in our lives? What, what's this year going to hold? And so I think you're a really great person to talk to about that, that process and that intention setting space and, and how mm. we get there. Thank you. Where would you like to begin? I feel honored that this is going to be in early January because I, I really look at kind of how we live our lives and it's a very seasonal process. I think humans are, are very seasonal, just like the earth and the, uh, the environments that we find ourselves in. Um, yeah. And January is always kind of a time of just kind of resetting. I'm in Michigan, so it's always dark and gray and <laughs> uh, really kind of uh, like sloppy mess all over the place. I kind um, of love the dark gray sloppy mess. Yeah, I do too, because it's a good time to just kind of go back inside. Um, there's not yeah. a lot of distractions outside and a lot of different things to be doing. So there's, it's just kind of a time to be still and kind of have some quiet contemplation, be close with loved ones and just really set the intentions for the coming seasons and what you want to do with, uh, with your life for the, for the, for the coming year. Mm, so much. So I, I remember last, um, the end of last winter, I had a small retreat at my home and we took our participants on a little hike in the backwoods and we were walking through like snow up to our knees and mm-hmm. it was just so quiet and so sensory. And it just held us in a way that the seasonal holding of it, it was so different than being outside at other seasons, like on mm-hmm. retreat. It was yeah. a really special magical time. So, you know, I don't think many people necessarily think of winter as being that magic, but there, there's something that is just so cleansing. Mm-hmm. Yeah about that time of year. Yeah, that that story really resonates with me. There's a trail not too far from my house that I like to take on a regular basis. And some of my favorite times of year to do it is in the winter because it's pretty much your trail at that Mm. point because nobody else is really on it. And you get to kind of hear the the crunching of the snow beneath your feet and everything's just a little bit more quiet and still than it normally is. And there's a river that goes past it. So there's still a little bit of movement, but uh, it's just a it's just a really cool time to kind of see your breath and just sink into what's happening in the moment and be really grounded in the present as opposed to being distracted by all the different things that you can be doing and uh, all the different things that we're trying to do with with our families with our clients with our with our lives and and the things that we're distracted by too <laughs> what I love about that description that you just offered is that it was so sensory mm-hmm, yeah. You know, and when you're talking about getting grounded, I think tapping into our senses is one of the ways that we have access to do that. Mm, yes, absolutely. I think it's, I'm biased, <laughs> but I think it's the primary way we do it because I think our senses come online much quicker than our, than our, than our cognition. Um, and if we can ground into our senses, whether it's just in the present moment in our relationships and in our, in our work or whatever we're doing, um, we get a lot more information than we, than we tend to uh, uh, pay attention to. And, and we can do things with much more intention um, and purpose, I think. Can you talk more into that a little bit? I'm curious about how you guide folks into finding their senses and, and kind of grounding into them and noticing them and just developing that awareness muscle when that's not something that they typically do in their lives. Yeah. So in the room with clients, it's really where I start more often than not early on, like just within the first couple of sessions, because everybody, at least what I've noticed in my practice, regardless of background, who they are, where they're coming from, all the different labels we can put on people, I tend to find that people kind of come in and just live everything from the neck up. 
everything's in their head, um, their entire experience, and they kind of don't really pay attention to the senses or their body until it's kind of screaming at them, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, until there's a lot of pain where there's a lot of pleasure or whatever. So I really try to, Diana Fosha is somebody that I really uh, get a lot of, uh, kind of a hero of mine in the field. Um, and she has this thing called making the implicit explicit and making the explicit experiential and then making the experiential relational. And I think that's kind of where I start is whatever I can see in the room. If I can see a body shift, if uh, I can tell in my own self as they're telling me the story that I'm having a physical reaction, I try to slow it down and just tune them into what they're feeling right here in the present moment at, I mean, and I'll, I'll often say today's date and the exact time that we're <laughs> in that moment with each other and just ask them to tune into that moment mm-hmm. um, and just tell me what's, where does this feeling live in your body of what you're, of what you're telling me? Uh, how do you experience this? What is it like to be telling this to me right now? Uh, what do you see on my face as, uh, as you're telling me this and how are you receiving me in this moment? Um, it really, I think it ups to steal from your, from you. I think it ups the connectfulness yeah. <laughs> of the, the whole experience. And I, it really, I, go I'm ahead. loving this. I'm totally loving this. I, I'm, I wrote down this quote that you just said, and I know you've borrowed it, um, making the implicit explicit, making the explicit experiential and making the experiential relational. And I think when you were just talking about how you do this in the room, you really brought us in a little bit. I, I want to talk deeper into this, but I heard how you were talking about, you know, what are you feeling in your body? What are you seeing register on my face? These pieces were really taking it into the place of experiencing it, noticing it, and then bringing it back into the room and for us to talk about it and have a deeper conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very valuable to do that because, um, I mean, in my own therapy and then with early on in my career, I noticed that we tend to go way into the future or way into the past and we're just not in the room and we're dealing with a lot of content, um, but not a lot of process and not a lot of um, what's actually happening in the room. And I think whatever's happening in the room is going to play out in the real world as well. Um, but in the room, we're both in it together and we both have an experience of it and we can kind of um, use it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think this is true, not just for therapeutic relationships, but for all relationships, right? Absolutely. Thinking of my relationships with my sister and my mother and my kids and my husband and my friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just when I show up as a therapist, but it's kind of how I show up everywhere. Do you find that to be the case for you also? 100%. I early on, like during my training and internship and all that kind of stuff, um, I would often point out, she's like, stop therapizing me. <laughs> and I, that, that was a lesson that I had to learn the hard way, kind of like, I can't be a therapist in my relationship uh, with friends and family and all that kind of stuff. And then when I tried to be a therapist in the room, I tried to be a therapist in the room um, with clients, it just didn't work. So, because um, I was kind of hiding behind uh, clinical theories or different things or uh, all that kind of stuff. So the more that I showed up in a relationship, the better things got and the slower that I approached my relationship with my wife or with my kids, especially the more I could uh, move away from reacting to things and move much more into responding with intention and purpose. Um, And that's like for parenting and for being married, that's been uh, just exponentially amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that slowdown process is really important. And I think it's also, you know, you were talking a little bit about the process 
that you've been on as a maturing therapist, where you started and where you are. And, you know, just to kind of add to that piece of the conversation, one of my mentors is Terry Real, and he often talks mm. about how Harry Sachs Sullivan says that the sign of a master therapist is someone who can walk into the therapy room the same way that they walk across their bedroom. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, that that has since I heard that that has been a guiding. Um, oh God, it's just it's felt like a guidepost within me, you know, like that I to really be an integrated being as a therapist as a human, like all of these parts of me can show up simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I, even if you get into like the neuroscience and all that kind of stuff behind it, the more that we show up as just authentic human beings with other people, the more that we can actually. Uh, bring online the those parts of the brain that are that that can heal and that can see things from a different angle and that can really be adaptive and integrated but that doesn't happen unless there's a safe attached relationship um, and that is a part of therapy that i think is becoming more and more popular um, and more and more recognized that there is an attachment that's happening on both ends yeah um, and if we can make it safe and secure um, then people can leave our offices, ourselves and our clients can leave the office and go into the world uh, with much more intention and purpose and much safer. Do you geek out on this neuroscience that you're talking about right here? I'm starting to a lot more in the last uh, probably six months. Um, I'm not an expert on it by any okay. shape or form, but I, I, I am really loving it. Well, I, I'm really curious about it all as well myself. I think a lot of this stuff is stuff that I intuit and I know on, on some levels I've certainly read, but I don't have that deeper knowledge of it yet and I want that deeper knowledge. So mm -hmm. um, whether you develop that deeper knowledge or you know someone who you can point me towards, I, I want to be having that conversation too here on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's all kinds of really great books. Um, uh, what's his name? Thomas Cozzolino, I think is how you say his name. Uh -huh. Yeah, Cozzolino, Why Therapy Works. That book is amazing. Um, and that really kind of gives a very, uh, kind of puts it into common terminology of kind of how to understand the, the, the science of what's going on in the therapy room. Um, that's, I, that's been a really good introduction to me. Um, Dan Siegel and Diana Fosha co-authored a book called mm -hmm. The Healing Power of Emotion that I think is really, really good. Um, the transforming power of affect is really good. I mean, these are all just things that people can grab and take a look at, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I've been doing the dive. Um, and then AEDP yeah. is kind of a, a theoretical approach that I've been really getting some training in lately. And they, that really focuses on attachment theory and uh, the neuroscience aspect of it and um, kind of how to show up in the room relationally and how that brings all these things online in a, in a really positive and healing way. What have you taken away from all of this research and training? Like what, where do you think are the biggest shifts in your growth in terms of how you have learned to, to see this healing nature of this therapeutic relationship? For me, it's, I kind of came into it backwards. <laughs> um, when I was doing my internship, like in the first couple of months of it, I was, uh, doing mostly just kind of CBT stuff and CBT is great because there's a lot of really good tools with it, but I felt like I was hiding behind it as opposed to just being real with my clients and I wasn't seeing, um, and I know early on that I, I probably had higher expectations than, <laughs> than I probably should have at that point, but I was really starting to just recognize that I just need to show up and be authentic and connect with people and be relational. Um, and then once we kind of bring the bottle, the bodily awareness into it, the kind of the somatic focus of the emotions that I started to see uh, 
much more rapid progress and people coming in and leaving with much more uh, safety and purpose and, and healing. Um, so I just started to kind of do a deep dive into that kind of stuff and just really recognize like how, how can I um, marry my gut feelings of what I'm doing in this room with actual theory or science or results um, that are outside of just me. <laughs> yes. um, and while I was building the Medify app, I, that's really kind of um, – like I was kind of had a lot of things that I knew about it and little things that I've read here and there. But as, as I was building the Medify app, I really, I was like, I got to do a really deep dive into this stuff. Cause I can't just throw an app out there and be like, this is based on me. <laughs> um, so I just really started to find other things and it's like, okay, cool. So my gut is, 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 is good and true. And I think that's what I've taken away from it is that as therapists, if we can follow our guts um, and follow just a human connected relationship, much more than um, this technique or this theory or this, that, or the other thing, um, that those things are good and useful tools to bring in when it's appropriate. But those, that's not the way to, to do therapy, I guess, right. is kind of what I've taken from it. You know, it's, it's interesting that you're talking about kind of like knowing and trusting in your gut mm -hmm. and how this, this process got you to the place where you're like, yeah, that's true. Because one of my earliest, earliest supervisors, I remember this one day we were talking about, you know, like, well, that's just how I feel. It's my gut response to things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he turned to me and was like, how do you know it's not indigestion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think, you know, as, as, as I talk about this often with my clients and other colleagues and folks that I consult with, I'm often, I find that this is often about talking about intuition. Mm -hmm. Yes, right? absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and intuition being that space of sensing and knowing and how we digest all the information. And then what you're talking about, especially in the process of developing this app, which I want to get into, is also about kind of like rooting into something deeper and doing that discernment process where you you know it and it motivates the in investigation, but it's it's also like grounded in something that is outside of your gut. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really kind of go back to what your question was a few minutes ago is that's really what this has brought to me. Just this neuroscience research and all that kind of stuff, like the polyvagal theory and all these other things is it's really just coming to terms with the fact that our human bodies are, are like antennas or receptors and we can trust the information that we're getting from it. Um, I really view the therapy process or the, the room of therapy is like a container. Um, and if we can keep the container as a safe kind of consistent place and ourselves are part of that container, that when things are brought into the container, meaning our clients and our clients' stories and our clients' experiences and emotions, that how they impact the container, meaning me and other things that are going on, that can really be a good distinction for me to kind of pay attention to. Like, why is it with this client that every Tuesday at three o'clock, I get really anxious or every Wednesday at, at four o'clock, I get really sleepy. Um, that's not indigestion because it's consistent. It keeps happening on a regular basis. With a particular um, client. With a particular client. And I think there's a lot of information that can come from that. And I think also yes. therapists that do their own work, that do a deep dive, um, know themselves much better and can show up in the room much more authentically. And um, I think therapists that do their own work, like that has to happen. <laughs> Deeper I get into my career, the more and more I realize that when I do my own work, my 
work with other clients gets much, much better because I can leave my stuff on the shelf and go back to it after the fact when I need to. And I can pay attention to what is my stuff that's getting activated, recognize it, put it on the shelf, and then recognize that there's something going on in the room for this client as well in those, in those moments. Oh gosh. Yeah. And we can guide our clients towards noticing what their stuff is. Exactly. I'm thinking, I'm just having this random thought here. Maybe you'll follow me, but my thought is that I, I feel like this is what culturally, this is part of a shift that's coming is for all of us to start tuning in mm-hmm. to these deeper places and having these deeper, maybe more sensory based or, but more knowing based conversations. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think it's interesting that that is starting to come in a time where technology has, has, is, is growing by leaps and bounds and we're getting uh, much more into kind of like a digital world. Yeah. Um, and as we're doing that, we're starting to recognize that we need to be grounded much more in the physical, <laughs> in the in the real world kind of thing. Um, oh, I love so technology. Much. I mean, I built an app around it, right? <laughs> yeah, let, let's go there. Let's talk a little bit about this app because, you know, just as you were saying that, I was like, well, this is where I use Medify with my clients. Yeah. So, um, you know, just the other day I had a client and we were talking about kind of noticing and dropping into and picking up on some patterns and all these different pieces of who they are. And it's, it's that deeper awareness that we're trying to build. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing that, I was like, so, you know, this is stuff I want you to journal. And they're looking at me and they, they carry a journal with them, but it's kind of clumsy and it's big and it, you know, and, and they're like, well, what am I going to journal? And I was like, Oh, okay, wait, here's this app. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they, I'm, Yeah. <laughs> it's very handy. Um, so I'm going to let you describe the app, but I'll just say that, my client's response after having used the app for a week or two was that they came back in. They're like, this is easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an, it's an easy way to log it. I don't get confused. Like I do when I pick up my journal because it guides them through it. Mm-hmm. So um, can you share a little bit about the app and the process? Like why this app? Let's start there. Yeah. So, I mean, the why behind the app is kind of what you were explaining, right? Like I was Brian Nixon, who is kind of the founder of the practice, the private practice that I'm in originally, we were just joking around about um, just constantly recognizing that there's so much experience that, that clients aren't paying attention to that's below the neck that is so rich with information. And we wish there was an easier way to kind of bring that up about that would be a little bit quicker because when you do it in session, that's great, but then they have a whole re- another week before they come back. <laughs> and oftentimes they don't do it during that week because it's not easy. And it's like, you have to slow down. You have to kind of go in, you have to um, pay attention and our lives are so busy that it's often hard to do that. And so we were joking and I was like, I wish there was an app for that and ha ha ha. Um, and then I came back to my office and I was like, I wonder if there is. <laughs> um, so just opened up the app store and started looking at different things and found a bunch of mood trackers. But I was really resistant to the mood trackers because almost every single one that I found kind of had it on a, a good to bad continuum of what your mood is. And for me, having that kind of a judgmental relationship with your emotions is really limiting and kind of defeats the process of paying attention because then it puts a lot of pressure on it. I need to feel good today. Well, I don't shoot. I had another bad day or whatever, as opposed to just recognize the emotions as just messengers. I, I appreciate just this. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes we need to feel sadness and grief and anger mm. and yes. some of the, the messier, more, um, I don't know. They're, they're less sexy emotions. 
Yeah, right? they're, they're less soft. <laughs> yeah, they. You know, they, I don't even know if they're always inconvenient because sometimes they get us exactly where we need to be. But yeah. they're, they're harder sometimes to sit with or tolerate. They're not as socially acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where this piece about um, not judging the emotion is so important in terms of the slowing down and the noticing. Yeah. And so while we're doing that, and while I'm looking for these, this an app can do this for me. Like I just couldn't find it. I just kept finding the the mood tracker. Um, that would just look at it from good to bad. So I started to just look at, I really liked the emotional color wheel kind of thing. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yep. Um, where people can just kind of look at it and identify what emotions and kind of where they're at and where they kind of fit. Um, so it's like, I wish there was an app that had that. And then they could uh, attach it to where in the body they start, they feel it most. And then they could attach it to kind of what's going on. What, what are the circumstances around their experience? And then they could kind of track patterns in that and, um, and it was just kind of a simple idea that I just kind of started to sketch out on a piece of uh, a paper. Um, and so that's basically what the app is, is there's a three-step process. The first one is you choose the actual emotion. Um, you name it, um, which again, going back to the neuroscience, when we can name our emotion, the, um, the prefrontal cortex loves that. <laughs> um, it calms it down. Um, so it loves it to be able to kind of actually name the emotion. And then we can show where on the body we feel it. And then we can attach it to whatever the circumstances are. And that's just, that's all you have to do. Um, there are some additional things you can do, like you can journal if you want to. You can drill down to more uh, specific emotions, um, but you don't have to. And but then over time, oh, and, and yeah, no, that's where I was going to take you. So then over time, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so then over time, you can go to your history screen and you can really start to see the patterns that emerge. So you can say, I just want to look at anger um, and you can see all the different things that are attached to anger and you can see where anger shows up most often in your body. And the more that you have an awareness of how that shows up, if you're in a situation and you start to feel that part of your body kind of having a strong reaction, you can recognize before you're really thinking about it that, oh, I might be angry right now. <laughs> or, oh, I might be really happy right now. Um, and recognize kind of that and be able to uh, slow it down and respond to it in a way that's kind of authentic and, and life-giving. Mm. So there's a few pieces in here that feel really important to me. Okay. One is that you're making the process easy in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, in the moment, tracking, you're naming it. You're noticing where and you're attaching it to whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. And it, that's just an easy process to track. Over yeah. time, that tracking process builds up into helping you to see larger patterns. Mm -hmm. yep. And that over time pattern building, uh, I, I kind of call it like a connect the dots, right? Each, each piece is a dot and you're starting mm -hmm. to make those connections. As you start doing that, you start gaining some clarity over what's happening for you. Mm -hmm. I think that's the space right there. That's where you carve out a space where you can now set new intentions. Exactly. And that's what, that's why I, th I think Metify is helpful in the sense that it starts with building a practice. Yes. And as you know, as well as I do, that as you build a practice, that's what leads you to the space, a, a firm foundation that you can actually uh, move into something more intentional with it. Mm, I love it. What, what are your, your plans next? Where do you want to, take this uh so <laughs> the entrepreneurial thing for me is has always been kind of like a gut thing and that's kind of where i need to grow i think <laughs> um i just kind of went out there and built the app i found a friend that um 
that's kind of in the technology space and he's a designer and a developer and all that kind of stuff. And he had been in therapy before and I was talking to him about the app and he was just like, damn, that'd have been really helpful when I was, <laughs> when I was going through uh, my therapy and, and he just offered to help me out with it. And if we kind of did it together, um, so that's kind of what we've done. And we actually just released a new feature with it where it, you don't have to do anything. It does it automatically in the background, um, but it'll pull the weather, the temperature and the weather pattern for you. And then you can actually drill down by that as well. Um, so you can start to see that like, oh, whenever it's sunny, I feel this. Or whenever it's cloudy, I feel that. Or whenever the temperature is so, so that's just really Okay. That is amazing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. We're pretty proud of it. So Yeah. I'm I'm thinking like that you know this is this is a great example. I I often am saying like I'm trying to let go of technology as much as I can, mm-hmm. and um, yet this is one of those places where it, it really feels very helpful, like really helpful. And I, I I can't emphasize this enough. And I'm not just saying it because we're we're having this conversation and you're on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I I have really seen that this this drilling down and this awareness building, like this is a skill set, and it takes time to develop. Mm-hmm. And the app makes it easier to develop it because you don't have to remember all the details of how, which is one of the hardest parts about building a new skill. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the other thing that's really great about it is it's just easy. What you're talking about, it's clunky to carry around a notebook. And if you just randomly stop in the middle of some place and pull out a notebook and start writing, it's just it's just awkward (laughs) where everybody's pulling out their phone randomly nowadays and nobody really knows what you're doing. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of confidential. It's, it's, it just fits right into what society is already at, but it's bringing us to a more aware place as opposed to, uh, kind of just connected to social media or, or whatever's kind of going on. It's bringing you into yourself. I, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm also wondering if there's um, an interactive component that maybe could be built in where it also maybe reminds you to do things like meditate or log in your app. Yeah. So there is, if you go into the notification section, it's, it's not, I don't think it's automatically turned on, but you can actually go in there and set reminders for yourself to use the app. Excellent. Um, so there are some components there for that already built in. Um, But yeah, so I mean, eventually we just, we're really just trying to get this in front of as many therapists as we can, because we find that when people use it with kind of a little bit of guidance at the beginning, they tend to use it. Um, But people that just kind of grab it and they're like, what is this? (laughs) Like have to sit there and pay attention to myself. I don't want to do that. (laughs) So for the therapists in our listening audience, this is a really great homework assignment for your clients. And bonus points is that the app itself to download is free. So yeah. it's, it's really accessible to anybody that has a smartphone. And I think that this is one of the best places to start with clients who are having trouble like noticing and naming their feelings, talking about emotions. This works really, really, really good with men. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> plus, plus there's that discreet piece of it, right? It's an app on your phone. No one really knows what you're doing when you're doing it. It's not like you're taking out a clumsy journal. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a really great way to start noticing and naming that you do have feelings and noticing what they are and where you're feeling them. So this therapist, this is one of my favorite homework assignments is for my clients to download this app and to start using it on a daily basis. 
Yes, I'm feeling the smile spread farther and farther across my face as you say this. <laughs> I'm very happy that people are using this as homework assignments because I like I in my own therapy practice, like I don't give a lot of homework. Um, but this is something that I do do because it's it doesn't feel like homework. It just feels like an extension of kind of what we're already doing and yeah. just deepening their awareness. So. You know, it's funny. Most of the homework, I, I was having a conversation with someone somewhere the other day about homework assignments for therapy clients. Mm-hmm. And um recognizing, I was recognizing within myself that there's kind of two kinds of homework assignments. There's the kind that's really measurable and cognitive, and there's the kind that's more experiential and much less measurable. Yeah. And oftentimes a lot of the homework that I give is the more experiential kind, the, um, you know, notice that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those yep. are like my favorite words. Notice that. Mm-hmm. With that, what's going on there? Let's look for that pattern. And I think one of the reasons I like this app is because it's both measurable and experiential. It, it combines the two. It lets you notice that and see the pattern, and it helps you track the pattern. But it gives you something that you, that's tangible that you can hold on to and share. Yes. Yeah, so it. Yeah. Exactly. It's that's. And I think that's why when you talked about. Uh, it's really handy with men, especially men just, we, for whatever reason, we're socialized to just not be as tuned into those things. And this gives us something that's outside of us to kind of hold on to and feel and be really tactile about it, but then also bring that awareness online a little bit more. So it's a kind of a roundabout way to get there <laughs> for a lot yeah, of guys. I really agree with that. <sighs> so, um, Let's let's drop back into the intention setting because yeah. now that we have this app as a tool and we understand it better and we understand why you created it, let's come back a little bit to, you know, how do we use all of this information to carve out where we want to go in our lives? Yeah, and I I, I think that's one that that's where it gets really individualized right like everybody can use it in different ways and depending on what their attachment styles are and what their history and what their experiences are and what their current relationships are and where they're at in life and all these different things that we can break people down by is those are all going to kind of impact what we do with this information Um, for me in my life kind of I think we talked a little bit earlier about just kind of the home life it's been really helpful to know that when I get triggered by my kids, because kids push all your buttons, (laughs) Um, when those buttons get pushed, I know what that feels like. And I know what that's attached to from my past or um, from my attachment styles and all those different things, because I've done a lot of work with Medify and in my own kind of therapy to recognize these things. And and then I can show up with much, uh, not reacting to the situation, but responding. And if I do react to it, it also, uh, helps me pay attention to the fact that, oh, I reacted to it. And typically I, I would feel shame around that. Um, but knowing what shame feels like in the body is really helpful to know like, okay, this is, this is, this might be an appropriate uh, place for shame. Now I need to go repair that um, with my kids or with my uh, wife or with friends or family or whatever. And I think for me, that's really where this has led to is just being uh, in more authentic and intentional relationship, having more appropriate 
boundaries and owning my shit and helping other people own their shit. <laughs> Sorry to, to use No, that. I kind of, I love it actually, because yeah. I think this is, this is the crux, right? Is that if we want to be more intentional in our relationships and all of our relationships, then we do have to own our shit. Like that mm-hmm. is, that is where it all begins. And when we're not willing to look within ourselves and do that work to practice being seen, mm-hmm. Patterns keep getting repetitive. They show up in our lives in multiple relationships in multiple ways, and they start oozing out of us sideways. Yes. And it also becomes an invitation for the other people in our lives. If, if we're doing the work, it, it makes it easier for the other people in our life to do their own work as well. At least that's been my experience. You haven't listened to the practice of being seen, have you? I, I talk about that in the intro. <laughs> I may have stolen it from somebody. I don't know. <laughs> I agree with you, though. I think that's really wise. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's awesome. I love it. I'm having like a laughing attack, so I think I just need a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I told you there was overlap between what we do. So <laughs> There really is, and I think this is why, why Medify and the Practice of Being Seen has made such a great partnership, mm-hmm. because there really is. There's... Um, it makes this untangible, hard to explain work easy to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm coming back to this and I'm, I'm thinking about how, how we take these mindful moments, how we slow things down and become aware of these patterns. And we set these new intentions and we live into these relationships by owning our shit. Mm-hmm. Right, which this this all this whole conversation is helping us to do because we're we're talking about. All right, here's my question for you. It it might kind of be a little bit roundabout, but here we go. Accessing that point of slowing down, of getting to the point where you know life is chaotic and busy, and you're sucked in to your shit instead of owning it. You're mm-hmm. not. Um, you're more reactive than intentional. <laughs> There's that space in between where you go, oh, let me log this. Let me notice this. Let me sit with this. How do you help people access that point? Because I think for most, getting off autopilot and into the intentionality of it, that's the work. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest part of the work. Yes. And I I think bringing a lot of um, self-compassion or grace to when you notice it, um, versus did I notice it beforehand or way after the fact or in the middle of it and just recognizing that that's just when you noticed it and that's where you got to begin. That's where the practice begins. Um, a lot of clients that I've worked with over the years have uh, lamented that like, yeah, this is great, but I don't, I, I don't, I never notice it until after the fact. I'm like, okay, well, that's when you notice it. So that's where we begin. That's the starting point. And it just is. So just let it be what it is um, to kind of go back to the neuroscience. Like there's the uh, neural pathways that kind of get ingrained in our brain over years of habitual kind of reactions. Um, and a lot of them are based on defense mechanisms and, and things like that. So they're very adaptive and healthy for a time. Um, but as we try to change them, it gets really hard because those neural pathways never go away. Um, they're always there. They can always be activated. Um, over time, they'll get less used and there'll be like a pathway that's a little overgrown, but you could always take it. 
kind of thing. So if you notice yourself on that path, and that's where the mindfulness kind of comes in, just noticing it, recognizing it, not bringing judgment to it, and just intentionally walking over to the neural pathway or the path that you want to be on. Um, and wherever you find yourself down, whichever path you're on, that's just when you, that's when you get to be intentional. And I think that's kind of, that's how I tend to help clients with it is just recognizing that like once you recognize it, that's the moment that you get to be intentional about it. Um, where you recognize it is not important. It's just that you recognized it. Um, whether it's a day after the fact, a week after the fact, or right in the, in the midst of it, it doesn't really matter. That's when you can start to, to repair or change or be more intentional. I, I don't know if there's anything else to say there. It just is. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I talk about this a lot with my clients also, the, the space of non-judgment that comes with the noticing. So whether you're noticing something five years or five weeks or five days or five minutes after it happened or in the middle of it happening, mm-hmm. um, whether that's five minutes into it happening or five seconds into it happening, right? That mm-hmm. no matter where in there you start noticing it, it's the fact that you're starting to notice it. Exactly. And it's, it's, I, I want to, I'm coming back to this untangible space though, because like just the other day, I, I was sitting with a couple and one partner was noticing, like naming and noticing their pattern. And they were like really in it. Like, this is what I do. And this isn't what, this is where I'm an asshole and this mm-hmm. is what I need to change. And I'm seeing it and I'm seeing it and I'm seeing it. And sometimes I don't see it in the moment, but I see it after. And then I do this. And the partner was saying they need more homework. Mm-hmm. And that was conflicting for me mm-hmm. because I, I understand both sides. I understand the partner saying they need to do more. They need more homework. Tell them what to do. But then I'm also sitting there with a partner who's developing their awareness. Mm-hmm. Yes. When, when you're telling that story, it's it, Martin Buber's I, thou, I, it concept just popped up. <laughs> Can you share that? Because I don't even know if I'm familiar with it. Yeah. I, oh, please go read this. This is, I love this stuff. Um, so Martin Buber has this concept or he has a book called I and thou, um, and that's where everybody should start. I think all therapists should read that. Um, but so he really looks at how human beings relate to people. Um, and you can relate in two ways, according to kind of his theorizing here. One is I and it. So me in relationship to it me with the chair, me with this person, me with whatever. Um, And it relationship is really kind of objectifying. It's I have an agenda here. So me and this person that I'm paying to do whatever, there's an agenda here. It's kind of an it relationship or me in this chair or me in this object. Um, And that's kind of the default of kind of how we tend to live our lives. Whereas I and thou is much more human, much more intangible kind of what we're, we're finding ourselves quite often is I'm just going to show up as fully human. You show up as fully human and we'll just be in our humanness together. And whatever comes up is what comes up and we'll, we'll just let it be and we'll connect over that kind of stuff. So when I'm in relationship with other people um, and early on in our marriage, and if I'm honest, probably still today, it's very hard in a marriage to be in an I thou relationship on a consistent basis because it's just it's not what our autopilot tends to do and we tend to kind of have a lot of our own defense mechanisms and a lot of our own shit pop up and we have agendas for our significant other to I want her to do this I want her to do that I want her to do this because it makes 
more sense for me thing but I've objectified her in that moment because I've turned her into something to be controlled or to be be doing something for me as opposed to being for, of me being with her kind of thing um, and that's I think kind of the struggle between I and it and I and thou and so that's another thing that I tell clients a lot is to start to recognize when you're in a relationship of I and it or a relationship of I and thou um, and don't bring judgment to it. Uh, if you find yourself in whatever one of these, that's just an opportunity to be more intentional. If you're in an I-it relationship and you're in the middle of a fight, you can stop, you can acknowledge it, you can call it, call yourself out, and then go on the I and thou path with the, with the person that you're relating to. Uh, so when I hear things like, my significant other just needs to do X, Y, and Z, to me that says, okay, you're, you're itting <laughs> your significant other. Um, Let's try to vow them in this moment and kind of see what it's like for them in that moment and what is it bringing up for you? What is it bringing up for them and where are you both coming from? Um, as opposed to kind of having all these little battlefields, we get down to the actual intention or the actual experience. And that tends to be where all the roots of these battlefields are, are in. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm hearing this on like a variety of, of lenses or like there's so many layers in here. And so I'm hearing it as a, as a therapist, as a relationship therapist, as a human, as a person in relationships, as a parent who's raising my kids and wants to teach my kids with this stuff. But I'm also very aware of conversations that are happening in society and the media these days mm, around yes. consent and privilege and mm -hmm. abuses of power. And as I'm, I'm thinking about that stuff too. I'm thinking that is also an I, thou, I, it conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's what I, that's what I think the genius of kind of Boober's uh, model here is, is you can pose everything as relational, whether it's in relationship with objects, with ourselves, with others, like there's always a relation, whether it's with time, the past, the future, the present, there's always a relationship there. And are you itting it or are you vowing it? Um, and there, it isn't necessarily bad. It sometimes it needs to be that because there are some things that we have to be transactional in, right? Um, but not everything. And I think the the conversations of power and privilege and uh, kind of the cultural moment that we're in right now is is coming to a place of recognizing that there's way too much itting mm -hmm. in our culture, especially if you're in a position where you don't have to thou anybody. Um, and really calling those people to, to thou those that are not in the same position. And that's yeah. hard, hard work. It's, I think this is really hard work. And I think this is, I, I don't think any of us, well, I think every single one of us is being called to do this hard work. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, some are being more um, engaged in it and some more resistant, but I, I think this is work for each of us. I don't think any of us get to escape it. Exactly. And I think the cultural moment that we're finding ourselves is really based in, and I'm not the first to say this, so this isn't anything major, but like just a lot of fear. And the more oh that we gosh. can bring awareness to that fear uh, and how that fear impacts us physically, emotionally, and relationally, like fear drives us to it, to be a, in an it relationship with other things because we have to control it and stop it. Um, but if we can sit with the fear and recognize that, Yes, there are things to be, there may be things to be scared of in this moment, but is this, is this really uh, rational? 
Um, or am I trying to hold on to something that is causing more pain, fear, or whatever in, in life? And is there a better way to do this? Oh, so much. You know, I, I often talk about how pain is information. And I think fear similarly is information. Anger is information. Happiness is information, right? Like all of, maybe this is someplace we should go. I know one of the things that Medify does, um, one of the things your app does is it names some primary emotions, right? Do you want to help decode that for our listeners a little bit? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the original idea behind it was just the prefrontal cortex likes it when we can name what we're experiencing as opposed to just kind of like being like, ah, <laughs> I'm going to white knuckle my way through this. Um, and that we, we tend to see decreased anxiety uh, and uh, decreased intensity of emotions when we can name it and claim it kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the original thing behind it. Um, but there's primary emotions and then there's secondary emotions and tertiary and all that kind of stuff. Um, so primary emotion on the app, there's six of them. Um, but if you pick one of those six, then it brings up a list of secondary or tertiary emotions that are underneath it that really kind of drill down with a little bit more detail of what you're actually experiencing. So if you pick fear, you can pick like, uh, you can just leave it at fear or you can drill down to like anxiety because um, anxiety flows out of fear. Um, cause fear of the future kind of thing or what's to come or what's going to happen if this of, of what, other, what, what other people think, all these different things, or there's horror, uh, or there's just other types of fear language. So you can really start to drill down to what actually am I experiencing here. Um, and then you can also start to see that like these primary emotions are umbrellas for all these secondary emotions here, and they flow out of that primary emotion. Um, so you can start to see that like, am I living in fear? Am I living in anger? Am I living in this? Am I just experiencing them in different ways in different situations? Um, and then once you start to see that, you can start to see that, okay, my primary, primary emotion um, might be uh, anger or fear or joy or uh, whatever. And then you can start to kind of get to the core of who you are in a lot of those situations and start to see your attachment styles and uh, maybe different small T or large T traumas that you've experienced in your life that are kind of informing how you're showing up in the world. And so this is getting back to where these, these feelings, whether it's fear or it's pain or it's sadness or it's grief or whatever, it's happiness, um, excitement, where these become information. Mm -hmm. And how this is a way of going deeper into the process of seeing yourself. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you say emotions are just information. I always say emotions are just messengers um, and they're just to be welcomed. Don't kill the messenger kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, same, same story there. Yeah. 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 That's, that's beautiful. I love that. Don't kill the messenger. Yeah. How often do we do that? Right? Like, do we say, Oh, you know, stop crying or, mm -hmm. uh, Another one I hear a lot from clients is, I don't want to feel this way. Exactly. Yes. Right. Or I don't want to be angry because an angry person is a bad person. Right. And so we try to stuff it or shove it away, but then it pops up as something else later. Right. And, and, kind of thing. and anger can actually be really useful. Mm, yes. Right. Like it, it keeps us safe. It heightens our awareness. It lets us know when our boundaries are being pushed or crossed or intruded upon. Mm -hmm. um, it, it helps to inform us about what we need to feel safe in the world. Yes. It makes us aware of injustice for sure. Benjamin, this has been such a delightful conversation. I, 
I can imagine us sitting together and having a cup of tea and continuing this conversation all day. Nah, but yeah. um, <laughs> I think we're going to have to close it out for now, but perhaps have you back on in a future episode to to go a little deeper. That would be great. I would be honored to do that. And I, let me just say that I'm very glad you said tea because I'm not a coffee drinker and everyone's always talking about coffee. So <laughs> I feel very... <laughs> I feel very connected and <laughs> my aloneness has been undone by that. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I tend to, I tend to limit my coffee consumption. I, I do start the day with some, but um, mm-hmm. I find if I keep going with coffee, I don't feel so good throughout the day. So yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a tea girl. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. You want to tell our listeners where they can find all the things that you do? Yeah, so Metafi, um, M-E-T-A-F-I, you can find that in your app store. Um, it's a free download, or you can go to our website, which is metafi.me, M-E. Um, you can also, if if you're in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and you're interested in my practice, you can find me at mindfulcounselinggr.com. Um, so those are the two primary places to kind of see what I'm doing. And please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Medify on those two social medias, and we would love to engage with you there. Wonderful. And we'll include links to both of those in our show notes. Thank you. So thank you again. We really, really appreciate having you on. I'm very grateful for the opportunity and the conversation. And even though we've never met in person, I'm very thankful for the influence that you've had in my life. Oh, that's, that's a mutual gratitude. And I have a feeling that we will meet in person one day soon enough. I hope so. As do I. <laughs> Thank get you. that cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Chamomile lavender, please. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Have a good one. I want to thank you for joining us for today's show. There's a link in the show notes if you're interested in working with me to find out more about both my therapy and mentorship services or my private couples intensive retreats. And if you want to dive even deeper into building conscious relationships with your beloved, consider sharing an experiential gift of deeper connection and intimacy over Valentine's week at our Divine Mirrors Valentine's Couples Retreat Experience. I'll be co-facilitating this at Menla Mountain Resort. I'd also love to invite you to join our Pobscast community, which you can do when you visit our website at practiceofbeingseen.com. You can also join in the conversation on social media by using the hashtag Pobscast. I love to receive your questions and feedback, so do email me at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind-the-scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope you enjoyed the show and will join us next week for another episode of The Popscast, brought to you by Connectfulness. <laughs>